0: You, you, are listening. You, are listening. you are listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast
1: that's right yeah so this is a um a forested property that as i said straddles the the river channel and um this is the coastal douglas fir which is um an incredibly uh biodiverse ecosystem in bc it's uh um, BC is divided up into something called biogeoclimatic zones, and of all the biogeoclimatic zones of BC, the coastal Douglas fir um, is the most biodiverse and the most at risk, and is the one that is has lost the most habitat uh, from conversion to human uses. It's uh, frankly, it's a it's a really amazing. Uh, landscape to live in, and people have known that for a long time. And so, a lot of the coastal Douglas fir has been converted to um, to um, human uses. And so, one of the things we're trying to do is to protect the the pieces of that landscape that are still intact, and in some cases, to restore areas that uh, that we can bring back to um, to to higher ecological function so mm. we've been really active in the English river watershed which oh, is beautiful you know, just, river yeah and 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 another one of those rivers that was in the you know up until the 70s maybe 80s wasn't was considered a destination fishery for fly fishers um, um it really mm. um declined after that um but um we have been working since uh, the 1980s to protect habitat on the English river and in its estuary. And um, we've been very active there. And just in the last two years, we've completed over $10 million of, of uh, land conservation just on the English river. So
2: hmm.
1: um, we continue to build on the, you know, the success of, of conservation on that river and, and the little Qualcomm is is nearby. And interestingly, both rivers drain into uh, the same Parksville-Qualcomm Wildlife Management Area. And and I mentioned the, that herring spawn and, and the Parksville-Qualcomm Wildlife Management Area, one of the reasons the province established that was to protect the habitat that um, that is used during the herring spawn events. And And right now, it's an incredibly important stopover for migrating birds. So the the Pacific Black Brandt come up from Mexico right now and uh, and they have a stopover there in the estuary. So it's the estuary of the Englishman and the Little Qualcomm.
2: Hmm.
1: And they're feeding there and, and recharging their energy stores before they fly straight up to Alaska to breathe. And so um, we provide an important... Uh, refueling stop for for these amazing <laughs> amazing black brand little sea goose and uh so yeah they um you know they use you know many of the same habitats that you know the steelhead and um other um, species of pacific salmon use that are in using that estuary part of their life cycle so it's it's just kind of this area of such such great importance to to fish and to wildlife and, and of course, people too.
3: Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. Damianandy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at ycom Broken Tippet Fly Company, for blog and fly fishing apparel, check out BrokenTippet.com. And Wait For It Films! For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus, receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%.
0: Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. I am very happy you are joining us and we're going to do what we love to do around these parts. And uh, that's find passionate people that care about our environment, care about our fly fishing space, care about, you know, all things, fins, water. And uh, just getting in the great old outdoors. We have got Jasper Lament on the line. Jasper's uh, with the Nature Trust of British Columbia. Uh, he's joining us today from Powell River. And uh, short story so, we were doing the uh, trade show in Chilliwack for the BC Outdoors Show. Ran into Jasper, had uh, a great little chat, and uh, we, we just decided, hey, let's, let's, let's do a show. So, hey, Jasper, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. I really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, I'm excited to be here. I love talking about fly fishing, and I love talking about conservation. So this is a great combination.
0: Amen. So let let's um we're gonna talk about. I know you've got a big project going on with the little Qualicum. We're gonna talk all about that and some fundraising you guys are doing and, and kind of basically big picture what the uh, Nature Trust of BC is up to. But first, I kind of like to get to know your day to day a little bit. Let's and let's tie this into your fly fishing history. I know you're an avid fly fisher. When when did fly fishing kind of first show up in your wheelhouse?
1: Well, um, I had the good fortune to be born and raised here in BC and was born in Vancouver and, and growing up, um, in Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, my, uh, my dad and mom kind of got me out in nature. And one of the things that we like to do as a family was to go up to the interior and, and catch Kamloops trout. And so started out, um, catching them, the, uh, with traditional kids' gear, worms and and so on, and and I watched my dad uh, catching them on dry flies, and I'm like, "Wow, that looks like a lot more fun!" So uh, that kind of piqued my interest at the young age, maybe when I was like uh, ten or something, and 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 started started me on the journey to becoming a, a fly fisher myself.
0: Hmm. So if you had to look back. It- I always like to talk influences. So kind of who did you learn the pastime from? Uh, Throw some names at us.
1: Well, um, certainly my my dad introduced me to to fly fishing and it's still an important part of his life and and so i I was thankful for my for my parents for for getting me out there to to experience um fishing and camping and the and the outdoors and and they still live on the little five acre hobby farm that um, they got when i was a little kid and and so that was my chance also to um, to To watch uh, the the cycle of salmon in our local creek and uh, get an appreciation for you know the whole life history of these amazing fish that uh, that call BC home and so you know certainly they were the the first and most important influence um, in my life and then um, I started reading my dad's fishing magazines and fishing books growing up and. Um, and some of the ones that really stick in my mind are um, Roderick Haig Brown's books mm-hmm. and, and uh, a great BC book called the Gilly.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have a, have a copy or two of the, of the Gilly on their shelf, but um, it's a, it's a great overview of the, the culture and the, the passion of fly fishing in, in BC and, um, if anyone doesn't have a coffee, I certainly would encourage them to find one.
0: It's funny. So Alf, Alf Davy, who, who wrote the Gilly, um, was in Kelowna at the time. I'm not sure he's still with us to be quite honest. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but he, you'll get a kick out of this at the show. I had that book on my table and, uh, I had probably five people ask me if they could Buy it, and I'm like, uh, well, no, it's not. It, it and if you flip, it was actually autographed by him, saying, "Mark, uh, tight lines, blah blah blah." And I'm just like, going, no, man, I'm not selling this book, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can find it whether it's at a used bookstore or it might even still be, uh, available online. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's, that's a good one. Uh, you and I were chatting before we kind of started hitting the record button about, uh, Jack Shaw's books too. Um, you know, those, those kind of shaped, I think a lot of fly fishers lives in the province.
1: Absolutely. Well, um, you know, Alpha recruited some of the, the brightest minds in BC fly fishing to write chapters for the Gilly, And one of my favorite flies is the Tom Thumb and the mm-hmm. Tom Thumb chapter in the Gilly was written by Ralph Shaw and Ralph Shaw um, is, uh, or was a, a fly fisher from Kamloops and, and a, passionate conservation advocate and a journalist too and ralph was one of the gentlemen that came up with the idea of launching the nature trust of bc back in 1970 so mm-hmm. it's kind of a neat connection that kind of crossing conservation and the nature trust and and fly fishing so it's um, funny
0: it's funny you say that i i felt i always feel like worlds are colliding it's like everyone's just a handshake away or a story away it's like hey you know buddy over and uh, so you're in Powell River. So, I mean, that's God's country too. I mean, that's just a beautiful part of the world. Uh, how's the fishing scene where you're at?
1: Well, it's an interesting place because we're right on the edge of the Salish Sea. So we've got, um, you know, probably the what the area is known for is saltwater salmon fishing. And um, on both the north and south sides of uh of the town, there's, there's uh, community hatcheries, um, mm-hmm. uh, one indigenous hatchery and, and one that's um, run by the uh, local salmon society. And so, you know, for kids like mine, um, they have the opportunity to see the whole uh, salmon life cycle up close and personal the all the local schools get to go out and see that happen each fall, which is really, really cool. And, um, and yeah, but, so that's kind of part of the, it's really salmon and um, and fishing are really part of the, the local, the mm-hmm. local culture. But then we also have um, you know dozens of lakes. Um, you know, so if you if you kind of face the other direction, um, there's lots of lakes and um, there's the uh, the canoe route which people can paddle for you know, paddle for days and days and days along these lakes and catch cutthroat in all of them. So, uh, it's a, a neat combination of, uh, both freshwater and, and saltwater fishing. And I haven't been here that long, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to learn my way around it and, and enjoy the, you know, what this area has to offer.
0: I love it. So, um, before we dig into your personal kind of history and your day to day let let's talk a little bit about uh nature trust um uh, british columbia so tell us about your you know the organization, your role with it, and just kind of um walk us through the goals of uh, of the organization
1: well, the nature Trust of b c was launched back in nineteen seventy one mm-hmm. and our mission is to secure restore and manage ecologically important land and bc has incredible um incredible landscapes incredible fish and wildlife habitat um, rare species rare ecosystems you know some of which are found nowhere else in the world and so uh, the nature Trust of bc was set up to work with willing landowners and and all manner of conservation partners to to protect land, especially private lands that have ecological importance, and then to care for them forever. So that's that's our hmm. mission, and we've been doing that for over fifty years now. And we've now conserved over one hundred and eighty thousand acres across BC, and every year we add to that. We find new properties, um, add to the ones we've protected in the past, and just continue to build a network of ecologically important lands to, uh, to provide habitat for, um, for wildlife and, and ecosystems. It's, it's a Hmm. pretty amazing mission.
0: Something I'm curious about. So like, there's so many different groups, whether it's like Ducks Unlimited or, um, there's, there's lots of, um, you know organizations that are trying to look after the land base but i think from a hunting fishing point of view when we can protect i, I honestly think that what people don't don't see a lot is is that those groups that are passionate about it are the ones that are going to protect it you know what i mean so um if you have to be avid hunter or fly fisher those are the people that in my mind, a lot of times that really want to take care of the resource. Has that been your experience?
1: Well, certainly, you know, people come to their passion for, for conservation in different ways, but a lot of people do come to it from, um, from, you know, fishing, hunting and, uh, and bird watching. Those are three of the, the main ones that I find that they mm-hmm. kind of get people interested in, in in what we do in in land conservation yeah. um and uh i know you have an interest in music so the the first concert i ever went to was at the pacific coliseum in in vancouver and it was huey lewis if you remember him
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and four four so uh for un- the big Huey's
1: still with us but unfortunately he's he's lost his hearing oh, and mm-hmm. he's um focused his his uh second career on on conservation and and he's a avid fly fisher as well and that's hmm. one of the things that has um, that I listened to an interview with him and he talked about how um, how f- uh, fishing helped to kind of drive his his interest in conservation and now hmm. something that he does you know with with his free time is to try to um, bring awareness to um, to the importance of uh, protecting habitat for fish
0: yeah I love it um yeah he had a lot of hits in the i want to say early to mid 80s right um that's exactly (laughs) yep that's
1: when that's when he was uh that's when he came through vancouver that was about
0: 1985 yeah that was a great venue i don't know if they still have i'm sure they still have concerts there about a gm place and that but i do remember the acoustics in that building were always better than when BC Place popped up. It was a huge stadium, but it was a marshmallow on top. And the, the sound always, in my mind, seemed to be better at the Pacific Coliseum for some reason. I agree 100%. Hmm. So, so let's talk about... Um, this project you guys have going on jasper with uh little qualicum river so i know this is some very special you know some special waters it has a lot of historical meaning to both uh you know native people and also to um just traditional hunting and fishing um areas of british columbia i mean uh we, we were talking just before we got on this about roderick Haig brown and, and that, that's a name that pops in my mind when i hear qualicum especially little qualicum um talk to us about the project you've got going on and what you guys are trying to do with this
1: well the east coast of vancouver island is is or at least was a, a fly fisher's paradise for for many decades and and people like Roderick Higg Brown um, helped to bring awareness to the amazing rivers and the amazing fish that called those rivers home. And um, unfortunately, the, you know, the habitat uh, degradation on many of those rivers has been pretty significant over the last century. And, and uh, one of the things that the Nature Trust of BC has been trying to do for for about 50 years is to, is to protect some of the remaining habitat along the ripe herring corridors of the rivers of the east coast of Vancouver Island and especially the estuaries because the estuaries are so important to, um, to the salmon and steelhead and migratory birds, um, Mm. that, uh, use those, um, use those habitats. It's a, estuaries are a mixing zone between the fresh water that comes downstream and the, and the marine waters of the Salish Sea. And, and it's a, just so ecologically productive and so important to so many different species and actually right now is a great time to to visit that landscape we're just at the tail end of the herring spawns and and that's uh seeing the herring spawn in that part of bc is uh hmm. it's a bit like a a you know one of those um, uh, National Geographic TV shows—it's just incredible seeing the diversity of bird life and marine mammals and uh, all converging on a place to take advantage of this um, this this explosion of life with the uh, with the herring spawn event. And hmm. so, these are just incredibly important habitats for um, for the people and wildlife of BC and. Um, you know the the First Nations of the of the BC coast knew knew that long before anyone else, and, and in the Little Qualcomm River is in the uh, is in the traditional territory of the Qualcomm First Nation, and and they um, to this day have an active fishery on that river, and um, it's an important um, part of their um, of their culture. And, and one of the many reasons that it's important to protect that river and the the fish that call it home. It's mm-hmm. also, uh, it's also a river that has a significant federal salmon hatchery on it. And so that helps to sustain, um, an active, uh, fishery today, um, both the indigenous fishery and, uh, recreational fishery. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, a uh, it's an important river for, ecologically and an important um, resource um, culturally and recreationally um, for the the people um, of BC and so um, there's been some significant conservation work done already by um, some of the uh, government agencies and and other conservation organizations active in BC and um, what we saw was an opportunity to protect a specific property that's located between the estuary and the hatchery so um so it's a property that straddles the river and so every salmon and every um trout that uh, you know that uh lives in that watershed is is passing right through that property and, and 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 uh you know depending on that habitat um to complete its it's some part of its life cycle so hmm. it's uh it's um important from that standpoint
0: so dial me in on this jasper so so you're looking to purchase 36 acres along that corridor
1: that's right yeah so this is a um a forested property that as i said straddles the the river channel and um this is the coastal douglas fir which is um an incredibly uh biodiverse ecosystem in bc it's uh um, BC is divided up into something called biogeoclimatic zones, and of all the biogeoclimatic zones of BC, the coastal Douglas fir um, is the most biodiverse and the most at risk, and is the one that is has lost the most habitat uh, from conversion to human uses. It's uh, frankly, it's a it's a really amazing. Uh, landscape to live in, and people have known that for a long time. And so, a lot of the coastal Douglas fir has been converted to um, to um, human uses. And so, one of the things we're trying to do is to protect the the pieces of that landscape that are still intact, and in some cases, to restore areas that uh, that we can bring back to um, to. To higher ecological function, so Mm. we've been really active in the Englishman River watershed, which is beautiful river. Yeah, and 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 another one of those rivers that was in the you know up until the seventies, maybe eighties, wasn't was considered a destination fishery for fly fishers. Um, um, It really Mm. um, declined after that, Um, but um, we have been working since uh, the 1980s to protect habitat on the English River and in its estuary and um, we've been very active there and just in the last 2 years we've completed over 10 million dollars of of uh, land conservation just on the English River so
2: hmm.
1: um, we continue to build on the you know the success of of conservation on that river and and the Little Qualcomm is is nearby. And interestingly, both rivers drain into uh the same Parksville Qualicum Wildlife Management Area. And and I mentioned the, that herring spawn and and the Parksville qualcomm Wildlife Management area. One of the reasons the province established that was to protect the habitat that um that is used during the herring spawn events and and right now it's an incredibly important stopover for migrating birds. So the the Pacific Black Brant come up from Mexico right now. And uh, and they have a stopover there in the estuary. So it's the estuary of the Englishman and the Little Qualcomm. Hmm. And they're feeding there and, and recharging their energy stores before they fly straight up to Alaska to breed. And so um, we provide an important... Uh, refueling stop for for these amazing
3: <laughs> amazing
1: black brant little sea goose and uh, so yeah they um you know they use you know many of the same habitats that you know the steelhead and um, other um, species of Pacific salmon use that are in using that estuary part of their life cycle so it's it's just kind of this area of such such great importance to to fish and to wildlife and and of course people too.
0: It's, it's funny, uh, when you say Englishman river, I, so my, my wife and I got married in 93 and we, our honeymoon was at Tynumera. And so we, I basically, I shouldn't admit this, but I did fly fish on my honeymoon in the Englishman river. And I just remember how beautiful that river system was and how clear the water ran. And, uh, it's a, it's a gem. It really is, um, it's pretty cool when you mention that. I hadn't thought about that river in many years. Um It is. But that's a that's a,
1: a great love
0: story. So. It, well, it's it's a it's got a lot of history right that river and and uh yeah, just when you you talk about Roderick haig Brown and if you read like Fisherman's what is it? Winter, Fisherman's Fall, um he talks about those rivers and talks about how good they were back in the day and I could only imagine back you know go back another 100 years and imagine what those systems must have been like um it's it's i think it's cool what you guys are doing and and i think that if if no one's looking out to protect this i mean we're not going to be able to enjoy these resources so and and like you say it benefits so many people whether it's birders or fly fishers or just people that want to get out for hikes and enjoy nature i think uh if we're not going to protect it, who the heck is, right? So uh, why don't you talk about um, your goal in this? So I, I know, obviously, buying land is not cheap, um, but you guys have a lot of partners, a lot of people on board in this project. So what are you looking to, you know, what do you need to get to to kind of reach your goal in this?
1: Well, as you mentioned Uh, buying land is is not getting any cheaper in bc and and the east coast of vancouver island has seen an amazing real estate boom the last few years so it's definitely um, becoming a an expensive place to do conservation but you know the ecological values are still there and and so we just feel that we have to do what we have to do to to raise the money to be able to do these important land conservation projects so in this case um, we do have great partners with the federal government who have um provided uh you know grant funding that's gonna provide the the lion's share of the um of the purchase price, but they also require match. And so we have to raise non federal dollars to match the federal grants that we get. And um they also don't cover all of the expenses that um that that we, um, incur to protect and, and care for these lands. So, um, so we, we have to build what we call public private partnerships to bring, um, to a community together to, to, um, acquire these properties and then, um, and then take care of them into the future. So mm-hmm. in, in this case, um, you know, the, the total project cost is, is over $2 million. Um, but we have most of it in place and, and we're. Um, currently at $330,000 left to go and wow. so we're actively fundraising um through the month of April to get to the that target and raise that last two hundred and thirty thousand dollars and um people can check out our website naturetrust.bc.ca to, to learn more and to get the latest update on how that campaign is going but and see some great pictures of the river and the wildlife that live there and Hmm. and yeah just would encourage people to to learn more about the the project and you know once we get this one done and and we are going to get it done because as i like to tell our team failure is not an option Um, (laughs) we will raise this money we will protect this land and and, and then we're gonna you know move on to the Hmm. the next opportunity there's there's so many great land conservation projects to do in bc and and uh you know, we want to be um, continuing our track record of of success and and building these partnerships to uh, to get get the job done and and but we're always looking to bring new new people into the into the fold and um you know build new new partnerships and and we're we're really grateful for some of the organizations that have stepped up um to support that project the steelhead society bc has made a made a significant pledge and and then um i gave a presentation that some of their some of their members saw and they they um reached out to me and said that they wanted to double their pledge so i mean it's just incredible how passionate some of the um the the, the fishing community we see is about, about conservation. And so we're, we're certainly incredibly thankful for their support. And, and uh, yeah, we just want to connect with more people that, uh, that share a passion for these rivers.
0: I love it. Can, can I ask you a really silly question? And, and this is me not understanding big picture, but when, when you, does somebody come to you that owns these properties and say, look, we we want you guys to buy this, but this is kind of the going rate and you need to kind of reach a certain, but like, how does that even work? (laughs) I'm just, I'm just really That's a great
1: question. And, and it can happen in different ways. Um, In in the case of the little Qualcomm river, um, it was owned by a private forest company and, um, uh, a local family managed to convince the forest company to sell them two lots, and the family wanted one of them for themselves. and And the, they approached us about um, about conserving the other one. Um, they didn't need both of them for themselves, and and they thought that uh, conservation would be a great outcome for for that property. But hmm. they paid fair market value for the land and. And they asked us to you know pay them what they paid for the land, so right. um you know they've they've held it for a period of time and you know given us the time to to raise the money to purchase it from them but uh all of our our land purchases are done on the basis of what's called appraised value, so mm-hmm. a independent real estate appraiser determines what the market value of the land is based on recent sales of comparable properties and that's a real there's a real art and science to real estate appraising um but the that independent person um you know arrives at what the the fair market value would be and then that's the basis for negotiating the purchase between the nature trust and whoever the landowner is okay and we always ask landowners to consider donating a portion of the land value. Um, many of them choose to do that, which we're very thankful for. And that helps to, to kickstart the campaigns to right. um, protect some of these, uh, some of these properties. And, and uh, as you mentioned on the English and river, the last acquisition we did was actually a 100% donation by um, a, a construction company called the Emil anderson group and they've been building and maintaining highways in bc for for many decades and they have been they were the owners of a of a key property on the english and river and and they have owned that property since longer than the nature of to bc has been in business and they approached us and said that they wanted to work with us to to protect it and and they didn't they didn't ask for a penny for it, and in fact, they also, um, they also provided the funds to to care for the property into the future. So um, yeah. just an incredible conservation um, legacy that the Emil Anderson Group created through that uh, donation.
0: Hmm. That's amazing. So uh, another question for you: So, so when you, let's say, you attain these lands, and then you know, it, you're looking after them, and, and, and kind of you know letting nature do its thing and, and not you know developing obviously i assume and, and and looking after the resource does does that from a fishing point of view or um, even hunting is that land open to anyone what is, what does that look like when it's actually in nature's trust
1: well at this point the nature trust of bc is protected over 500 properties and and there's a huge range in terms of what types of habitats and where these properties are located. So, mm-hmm. um, at one end of the spectrum, we have some properties that are right in the middle of cities. Um, and back in the '70s and '80s, there wasn't a lot of organizations out there protecting land, and so um, some of the some of the properties that were acquired were actually purchased to provide nature centers um for communities that didn't have them so the scout island nature center in williams lake is one that you might be familiar with Mm -hmm. Um, um, that's a nature trust property that was purchased many decades ago and so that that property was um you know purchased basically to provide environmental education so um, so there's even classrooms there for environmental education. So, and, and nature trails and that sort of thing. So there's a few properties like that. We don't, we aren't acquiring properties like that anymore, but, um, there's certainly some of those in the portfolio,
2: hmm.
1: um, that, you know, really their, their mandate is focused on providing public access. Um, there's a couple properties that were purchased to provide, or to protect habitat for really rare plants like orchids. And, Mm -hmm. um, and some of those properties are managed as ecological reserves in partnership with the province with, with virtually no public access. Um, And, you know, to try to protect those, those plant habitats. Um, But then, you know the the majority of our properties are are somewhere in between where there's public access provided, um, mainly foot access. So people have the ability to walk on them mm-hmm. and to enjoy them. Um, you know many of the properties in you know, more um, well many of our properties are are bone dry as you know in the South Okanagan. So there's no fishing where there's no water,
2: obviously. <laughs> but
1: um, fair, <laughs> but so, fair. it's hard to generalize. How, about yeah. how, how 500 properties, but some of the properties are, um, you know, provide good fishing opportunities. Um, Edith Lake would be one just outside Kamloops very yeah. popular fishery There's Nature Trust provides the public access to that property um, and in, uh, some of our properties in the Kootenays are many thousands of acres in remote areas and, and those are popular places for people to hike in and, and hunt on so hmm. there's just a, there's a real broad range of different yeah. types of um, right. um, properties and habitats and depending on the context and of the ecological values of the property and, and the local laws and regulations, right. um, you know, that the, those all guide what types of public access are, are provided there.
0: Well, I am familiar with some properties you have in my neck of the woods that I, uh, I really well I spend a lot of time in them. <laughs> I, I, uh, I appreciate what you guys have done with it as far as like leaving Leaving the sagebrush and sand where it is and the rattlesnakes and the meadowlarks and all that good stuff, you know, because it is a a very small base. And I think you and I were talking briefly about tiger salamanders. I can remember growing up here, they were everywhere. Now they're barely anywhere. And uh, it's important that we protect those spots because especially those very, some of these ecosystems that you're talking about are one of a kind and, and, and especially in, you know, in Canada, people don't always think of a desert, but, um, you got some pretty special places.
1: Well, the, uh, the South Okanagan, where you have the good fortune to live is, is one of the highest densities of federal species at risk in all of Canada. Um, you know, it is right at the top of the federal government's list of priority places for, um, for the protection of of habitat for species at risk, and so tiger salamanders are one of them. But some of our properties around um, Oliver, you know, can have over a dozen species at risk, all living in the same the same patch of habitat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Um, the antelope brush um, yeah. habitat, for example, is just home to uh, a plethora of of species at risk. Um, Including the bear's hair streak butterfly, which can't oh. complete its life cycle without the antelope brush plant. So yeah, oh, you know, it's just uh yeah, you're absolutely right. There's just so many so many um, things that make the make B C special and and the South Okanagan has some great examples of, of yeah. that and and we're, we're privileged to be able to 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 protect some of those habitats uh, while we still have them.
0: That, that hair streak butterfly, they used to be, again, I used to see those all the time growing up. And then the, I think of the bitter root, um, I think of, like you'll, you'll laugh, so so I'm I'm kind of in the city, out of the city, but in the city, and I I, t- I took a little heat from the neighbors because I planted sagebrush and rabbit brush in my front yard, and I'm going, that's what was here the whole time. I don't have to yeah. water it. I just look at it. The quail love it. They're in it all. You're good.
1: ahead of your you're ahead of your time. I mean, and, <sighs> um, I spent part of my career down in California, and down there there. Um, zeroescaping and um, cultivating, you know, native plants instead of, instead of, uh, you know, irrigated lawns is, is really the way forward down there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these are the, the, these are the plants that evolved over millennia to live in our climates. And, um, and yeah, of course they provide amazing habitat for, for all kinds of birds and butterflies and, and other species and, Um, but also, you know, they, they can thrive in the, in our, in our climate. And so, um, you know, I, I, uh, Hmm. I think it's great when people discover the, you know, the, the opportunities to, to enjoy native
0: plants just in their own, their own backyard. If you've never taken sagebrush in your hand and rubbed it and smelled it, then you'd know you want to protect it. It's like, it's like, I don't know. It's the best smell on the planet for me, and when it's it, intoxicating. Oh god! And when it rains, the whole valley smells like it. I got two ponderosas on our property here, and I've been trying to hold on to them. And the neighbors had like blue spruces, and what? Not in in a big windstorm, everything blew down. The only thing that's going to stay, I think, and stand the test of time is the sagebrush and the ponderosas. So I'm like, yeah, just leave that. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh it's fascinating and I, 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 appreciate what you guys have done out here. Cause I, I drive by it every day and I see it. And I also see that ranch land coexists with it. Like, I think that's something we should talk about because I think people are like, you know, if, if, if you protect it, then we can't use it. And that's not necessarily the case, is it?
1: Well, no. And, um, for decades now, the nature of has been working with local ranching families in the Okanagan to, to, um, protect the complexes of lands that that provide habitat for for the rare species that that uh, live in the okanagan and also maintaining viable you know family ranching operations so our our white lake basin biodiversity ranch is a, a great example of that and um for people who are who are uh traveling through the south okanagan it's it's worth a visit and and it's uh home to some amazing species like the cannibalistic tiger salamander that you mentioned (laughs) um and uh all kinds of rattlesnakes and um, but also, you know the um, Clifton family have been ranching there now for i think they're in their fourth or fifth generation yeah. and and they've been real leaders in the ranching community and in demonstrating um how biodiversity conservation um can be part of um can be part of a a viable ranching operation and and they've been justifiably recognized by their peers in the in the ranching industry for their for their leadership there, and and we've been working with them, and um, they actually brought a property to our attention that um, they'd been ranching on. It was an, a family ranch in the Princeton area that um, needed to uh, that was going on the market, um, and they said, "Look, you guys have got to look at this place. It's it's, it's very special." and hmm. And they were right, and it was um it at the time. I thought, how the heck are we going to find the money to buy 2,600 acres of grass in 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 Princeton? But um, through some amazing partnerships and some great conservation leadership from some um, Canadian philanthropists and more partners in the um, federal government, we were able to um, to get it done. And so now we have the. Um, Uh, Princeton grasslands complex there that uh, will be there forever and, and has some, you know, just another, you know, just impressive expanse of grasslands and wetlands, ponderosa pine that provides habitat for, uh, for some, um, for some, Birds that are down to only about 500 breeding
0: pairs left in all of Canada. Really? So it's just, yeah. It's what, just, um, are we talking a nuthatch or what, what kind of bird is it?
1: Uh, we're talking about Lewis's woodpecker.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I see. I, I I used to see them all the time. They're quite big, those things.
1: They are. And unfortunately, and, and there's not as many of them as there were when, mm-hmm. when we were growing up. But, um, you know, that's one of the areas where they seem to be doing okay. And so, um, mm-hmm. We're just trying to do our part to,
2: yeah.
1: um, to keep some, um, some chunks of, uh, of grassland intact in the, both the Okanagan and the, and the smell there.
0: Interesting. Those I look, whenever I see a Lewis, I always think that's a dinosaur. It looks like a dinosaur. I don't, <laughs> it's got the pointed head and they're quite big. I don't know. They're a pretty cool bird. And I always feel grateful when I see one, I, I actually see them. I'm surprised to hear there's that few because I do see them once in a while. Hmm, interesting. Is is that is that that whole Sunflower Downs kind of rolling grasslands area like Separation Lake and and in, in there is that where you're talking?
1: Um, it's just it's closer to the Princeton Airport. If you yeah, know that yeah, experience. yeah. Areas, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's some there's there's some good um waterfowl habitat in there too all kinds of little rolling lakes and
1: uh yeah exactly yeah. and and some you know there's some elk that move through there Yep. um yep. i i didn't believe it until our staff shows a picture but even the odd moose rolls through there oh too. yeah so, it's, um, it's it's you know it's, it's and of course lots of you know mule deer and mm-hmm. and you know all, all the different uh species that you'd expect to find in a grassland landscape so it's just a real a neat mix
0: lots of balsam root sunflowers <laughs>
1: For sure. Yeah, it's a great place to be and actually oh, yeah. probably coming up really soon. But the oh, yeah. the the if people haven't experienced the South Okanagan during the during the spring kind of wildfire bloom, it it's uh yeah. it's it's something flocks, else.
0: That, all those flocks and then bitterroot root and yeah, it's cute.
1: Yeah. And it's just uh it it's really inspiring and uplifting to see you know, uh, to see the landscape in, in full bloom. And, and, you know, if you're rolling through there in August and everything's dried up and, uh, crunchy and and dead looking you never know the explosion <laughs> of life that you just missed by a few months
0: that reminds me of walking to school as a little guy we'd, we'd take this we call it the alligator path and we walk on these boulders and we'd always be kicking up the odd prickly pear cactus that would stick into your jeans and then you'd <laughs> it was yeah. Like, yeah i don't see that a lot anymore but yeah it's, it's special for sure i love it um so uh, This is a fishing show. I love what you're doing with Nature Trust, but let's talk a little bit about your fly fishing. So um, if you happen to be going to your favorite Stillwater, say in the interior or wherever you're headed, what's playing on the truck and the stereo on the way there?
1: Uh, Well, um, with all due respect to Huey Lewis, um, I did move on (laughs) in my my musical selections. And I went to Queen's University in the early 90s, and I... And I caught the hip bug bad. (laughs) So um, the, uh, the tragically hip had, had just, uh, had just rolled through um, university, the Queens university uh, a couple of years ahead of me. And so um, that was the soundtrack of my undergraduate years. And, and um, so, yeah, they're, they're my all time favorite band and, and, you know, maybe The Hips, rode Apples. I was just going to say, I guarantee
0: <laughs> you had a cassette of rode Apples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had
1: the good fortune to see their first and last shows um, wow. on there on their final tour of uh, victoria and and kingston so wow um, that was a, a wonderful you know kind of capstone i guess to uh hmm. um to decades of of uh loving that band and and the music that they they created for us so um that's my fishing soundtrack
0: one fly pattern jasper that you can't live without so you know and i know that's a big question depending on the time, <laughs> time of year but you know more often than not what's going on the end of that rod
1: um well like my first favorite was the tom thumb um but um you know most days i, I don't get out on the lakes as much as i'd like to but um you know you can't count on the right hatch to uh you know for dry fly action as you know and so um i'd have to say uh probably a black woolly bugger um be kind of my my go-to or um maybe uh a leech pattern um you know if there's if there's no activity um you know no hatch or anything um trying to and that's usually where I start is, uh, something wet, something black, yeah. um, to, um, to try and, uh, elicit a, a strike or two. Makes
0: sense. So where do you go to talk fishing? Like, you know, is it a social media thing? Is there a fly shop in Powell rivers or coffee shop, a watering hole? Where do you get your fix on fishing, fly fishing specifically when you're not out there?
1: Hmm. Great question. Well, we do have, um, we do have a couple nice little shops locally. I give the shout out to Powell River Outdoors, mm-hmm. um, owned by Sam Sansalone, and and also Marine Traders. Uh, so they're both right in the, the heart of Powell River near the West U Ferry Terminal. And uh, if anyone's rolling through here, they should they should visit both shops and uh, and get um, get the local the local intel and and uh, buy a few patterns. Um, so. Um, You know, those would be, um, good sources, but, um, I like to, uh, you know, have a couple fishing buddies here in, however, in and, and after we both have young families and, and so, uh, sometimes just after the kids go to bed, we'll, we'll get together in someone's backyard and, uh, have, have a, a craft beer or two and relive a couple, um, recent fishing, fishing tales, but <laughs> well, typically good. more about the one that got away than the one yeah. that, uh, the one that made it to the boat. But, um, that's, uh. That's been re- more recently that's been um, kind of how, how I've uh, um, shared the, shared the, the
0: fishing knowledge. Hmm. That sounds all right. Um, why do you do this? And I, I know this is a huge question, but when you look at the time you spend on the water, fly rod in hand, what does it do for Jasper lament?
1: i think it helps center me i i have a a hugely exciting job but it's a lot of responsibility and and sometimes you know it can be stressful um you know we're leading um a large complex organization with a, a critical mission and and you know there's always there's always pressure to Um, to do more, to raise more money, to get more projects done, to save more land in BC before it's gone. And so fly fishing and spending time in nature more generally is, is one of the ways that I can um, just have a little bit of, uh, I guess a little time to, to recenter, reflect, and Mm -hmm. um, remind myself of, of why it's important to do what we do and, And yeah, just, uh, reestablish a bit of, a bit of calm in my, you know, in my brain and, and in my life. And that's, uh, that's, that's really, um, at the, at the heart of it. I mean, um, fishing is one of the things that inspired me to become a biologist, inspired me to, um, get a PhD in biology and, um, and ultimately to dedicate my career to conservation. So, um, but, i still find joy and maybe more than ever find joy in in fishing and in in the outdoors um mm-hmm. it's uh um you know for i was uh talking to a, a a conservation colleague today and and he talked about the spiritual aspect uh to of you know spending time in nature for him and and he um, he's not a religious person, but he he compared it to his religion, and yeah, and fair. I thought that that was interesting. You know, that was um, um that was kind of how he art- articulated. It. And other people talk about fly fishing as being uh, an experience a bit like meditation. And um, you know, I haven't trained in those sort of things, but um, I I I hear and and I can I can f- understand all these different perspectives on how, you know, how it can be so, um, yeah, just so uplifting and, and so relaxing at the same time. Hmm.
0: I, I, I love talking jobs and job history on this. So obviously we know that you are uh, involved with Nature Trust British Columbia now um, and are a uh, biologist, but what, what was your job previous to this? What were you doing? Well, I've now been in this
1: role for just over 10 years. Before that, I spent um, a number of years in the in, uh, environmental sustainability role at BC Hydro, which, uh, mm-hmm. for your listeners, south of the border is uh, a large electricity generation, distribution, and transmission company that operates in in most of BC. And in Canada, at least, It's it's one of the leaders in integrating sustainability into into its operations and um i had the good fortune to work with actually a lot of great fish biologists at uh, at bc hydro and and learned a lot from them about how you know we can all do more to uh you know take care of our rivers and um and, and our watersheds better and to um into integrate, um, sustainability into, into,
2: mm-hmm.
1: into the energy industry. So, um, so that, that was where I was when I got the phone call that the Nature Trust D B C was looking for a new CEO. So, um, that was, um, uh, I did spend some time in the corporate sector and that was, uh, that was helpful to, to see how, mm-hmm. you know, see how companies, um, think about these issues.
0: Yeah. Um, so, best job you ever had are you doing it now
1: I'm living the dream right now (laughs) this job is uh, I feel like I was I was made made for this job Um, and it's awesome I just uh, you know sometimes the hardest part of my job is is turning as turning my brain off at night because i think about this uh <laughs> i think about the work that we do conserving land and, and conserving rivers and estuaries and i i think about it almost all the time and um, you know drive some some of our staff crazy with sending them emails late at night early in the morning when i you know, get some inspiration, like, Hey, why don't we try this?
2: uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I don't know. I just, um,
2: it's,
1: it's not a, it's not just a job for me. It's a, it's a passion. Um, It's a mission. Um, It's uh, yeah. It's what I was made to do.
0: Yeah. I I can, uh, I can hear it in your voice. And I, I saw it in your face when, when you came up and we started having a chat at the show there, because it's rare that I run into somebody that's, as passionate as yourself and i think uh it sounds to me like you're living your best your best life <laughs> let's talk worst jobs so did you do anything in high school or after school or <laughs> you went man i'm I'm not doing that again
1: well um my first job was was very glamorous i was a uh, a bus boy on, on a, at a restaurant on the Fraser river in Fort Langley. So, (laughs) um, you know, picking up other people's dirty dishes and taking them to the dish fit in the kitchen. So, Mm um, um, and you know, that was, that was a good experience. Um, it's not, you know, it's not how I would choose to make a living today. Um, but, um, certainly helped to instill a strong work ethic in me and uh mm-hmm. and i've had a lifelong appreciation for people who work in the hospitality industry
2: um, yeah oh, since I, me too. I,
1: I worked in it all the way through university too, tending bar and working yeah. the door and student pubs and stuff and uh yeah, yeah it's um that's that's a that's um, that those jobs are, can be a lot of fun. Um, and they can also, um, yeah, you can also get some up close experience with some of the real challenges of working with people. So, um, mm-hmm. that was, uh, I, I, I guess he could, was it was a Mark Twain said they were the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was probably uh, a bit of both with, um, with, with those, with those jobs, like closing time at a, at a student pub or something (laughs) and all the shenanigans that you had that you were the supposedly responsible adult who was trying to keep everyone safe and get them get them home in one piece
0: (laughs) we call that character building (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: i guess
0: (laughs) are you a sports guy um if so um you know i'm sure you cheer for queens collegiately but uh let's talk pro sports are you hockey guy football well i I
1: grew up i grew up enjoying the enjoying the canucks um um it's uh it's i guess you could say the best of times and the worst of times you know i I lived the dream and the 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 dream and the tragedy of two canucks stanley cup friends Um, amen um in my lifetime um i uh i got a scholarship to do my PhD in the US at the University of Miami. And hmm. so that was really an interesting experience for a Canadian to see what top tier um, US college sports is like. Yeah. Um, and, and as a teaching assistant, I taught some of the student athletes. And so um, that was interesting. And then seeing them perform at just the, at the, um, you know, the top level of competition. And, you know, the the level of sports competition that um in the University of Miami's in the Atlantic Coast Conference, like it mm-hmm. it's just a different it's it's a different universe from Canadian university sports. It's uh it's it's a very different very different. And, uh, yeah.
2: um,
1: probably the highlight of that was, uh, I did get out to some of their big rivalry home games against Florida state university during the
0: <laughs> heyday
1: of that rivalry in the 1990s. And was Tebow there. Uh, no, no, I guess I I, didn't, I must've missed, must've missed, um, that, um, period of, uh, of time, but, um, and then, just after I graduated from the University of Miami, they made a run and and actually played in the Rose Bowl for the national championship, and hmm. I was there in Pasadena, California, wow. with about a hundred thousand people watching our team. absolutely crushed the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and so, wow. <laughs> so who your quarter, was
0: your who your quarterback? Was, do you remember?
1: Oh, um, um, so that was about I think that was two thousand and one.
0: Oh shoot. Um
1: so it was uh it was not um this was long after Bernie Kosar, Vinny Trestavdi, Jim <laughs> Kelly, all those guys. Uh, it it was long after quarterback you. Um, yeah. but uh um hmm. I think his uh I'm blanking on his name, That's but name. um but yeah, he didn't go on to any yep. any great um pro um pro sports career, but um he had he had enough talent to um we had an incredible an incredible um defense at that time and and hmm. you know a lot of guys on the team went on to um to the NFL. But uh, just seeing that, I mean, and that college sports at that scale was was pretty pretty interesting. And we had a lot of fun at Queens going to you know, home football games there and it's like, you know, five thousand
0: people there. And then go to the Rose Bowl <laughs> and
1: there's like a hundred and five thousand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah. We talk about that a bit on this because I thought yeah, I I think uh, it's pretty fascinating to me. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Great story. It's the Hurricanes, right? Miami. Miami yeah, Miami right. Hurricanes, yeah.
1: and uh, and I should give them a shout out because for the first time in their history, they are headed to the NCAA Men's Final Four. So, right on. Um, so they'll be playing this weekend um, in the Final Four, which is. Which is huge. Um, they oh, yeah. were when I was there. They were just trying to get the basketball program, you know, really um, up and running. And it was a, I mean, a lot of people thought it was a pipe dream to get,
2: hmm. you know,
1: to make it to the final four. And now here they are. And the uh, the women's team um, was in the uh, Sweet Sixteen this year too. So I mean, hmm. they're they're really um, the the football program is not what it once was, but um, basketball really seems to be. Um, on the upswing at the University of Miami.
0: We've got Jasper Lament on the line out of Powell River, British Columbia. He's with the Nature Trust of BC. It, looking at what you've been doing, and it really sounds like you are truly embedded in your job. You've been at it a while, and it's your, it's your passion, there's no doubt. What are you most proud of um, so far that you've accomplished? Oh
1: great question um I think one of the things that that i that I get excited about and a lot of satisfaction from is is bringing together partnerships to to tackle some of the really tough land acquisition challenges that um you know that that come our way and I mentioned princeton grasslands you know that that property it was listed for sale. Uh, for over five million dollars and you know uh 2,600 acres of grass and and at the time that just seemed like an impossible hill to climb and where am I going to find that much money (laughs) Um, and uh and as I told you earlier we 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 found a way um you know that with some amazing support from from partners and um and donors and so Hmm. you know that that's exciting knowing that 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 complex um the is is going to be there forever and yeah. shout out to the maple cross um, which is a conservation group out of ontario that really um, helped helped set the um you know provide the lead gifts that made that that project happen um hmm. and yeah, some of the other um, places, like uh, the Salmon River uh, near Sayward on Vancouver Island. So that's an amazing river that just means, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's magical, really. Um, and it's a, it's important river for steelhead on Vancouver Island and many species of Pacific salmon, many species of migratory birds. Um, in that watershed, there's marbled merlets nesting in the tops of uh you know, ancient trees. So it's, a, it's a really amazing landscape, and then there's Roosevelt's elk, and now grizzly bears roaming around the
2: that Ooh. river
1: valley. One of the few places on Vancouver Island where grizzly bears have been seen uh, recently. So um, being so, we've been able to protect some some key parts of that um, you know of that watershed um, in the in the ten years that I've been at the NHSWC. and and that's really really rewarding um and uh a quick story that one of the the transactions we did there um came about because a property was listed listed with a real estate agent for sale and and uh i I called up the agent and he i could tell he wasn't super excited to be talking to me and 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 i was like you know well i'm not sure we know who we are but this is what we're trying to do and he said yeah i know you are and kind of you know I I get what you're trying to do, um, but uh, I got to tell you that um, that my client and is is not really conservation minded. Um, <laughs> so, well, can you just just you know let them know we're interested? And uh, anyhow, um, so he he reluctantly agreed to make a phone call, and um, he called me back a couple days later and he said well i told my client you know um who's interested in buying his land and he had two words for you (laughs) (laughs) bring it (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't bring it the second (laughs) word was you (laughs) (laughs) and you know what we got that deal done wow um yeah we got it done we found a way amazing and and so you know the you know, so sometimes I, I like to say patience, persistence, and partnerships is what it takes to hmm. to get these deals done. And and that was an example of that the landowner came around, and you know, we only deal with willing landowners.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, um, I I I can take it if someone you know wants to tell me where to go. Um, that <laughs> doesn't bother me. I would imagine
0: and, you gotta have pretty thick skin to do your role. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, it's just, it's part of the business and, and, you know, and eventually he came around and, and he was willing to, to sell. He didn't have any other options. Um, Hmm. And, you know, there, at one point there was another buyer and they couldn't get financing. And, and, you know, I said, you know, our, we will we'll find the money we're we're not we're not borrowing money that's one thing we don't do we don't mm-hmm. we're not using mortgages to buy properties we're, we bring cash to the table wow. so yeah and if, and if uh if we can't find the cash to pay you in full at closing then you know then i'm not going to waste your time so huh. um give me a chance and we'll bring cash and you don't have to worry about about our credit or our because right. uh Cassius King. And so we got that done. And yes. so that's, that's satisfying. And when I go back to that, that river, um, it's, it's nice to know that I was able to build on the legacy that my predecessors and, you know, other conservation partners like Ducks Unlimited, they, they've been um, working in that watershed for decades uh, alongside us and, in the province of BC and, uh, the, um, Environment, and Climate Change Canada, all these different conservation organizations have been working to um, to bring that watershed back and the fish and wildlife that depend on it. And, and mm. it's great to be able to to be part of that and to and to kind of move the needle for um, for conservation and and uh, just to bring th- the story full circle. Um, the uh, the Salmon River used to be. Um, diverted into the Campbell river system to, so that BC hydro could generate more electricity at the John Hart generating station in Campbell river. Um, hmm. and so, um, so that was one of the things that, you know, uh, made that, that, uh, dam, um, more, you know, more productive for um, BC's electricity system. Um, but it also, um, diverted, um, you know, salmon and steelhead from, from the Salmon River into, um, a reservoir in the, in the, um, in the Campbell system. So it was a dead end, you know, it was a Mm one-way trip for them. And so, you know, that, that was not good for the, you know, the salmon steelhead of the Salmon River watershed and, and to BC Hatter's credit, um, they actually decommissioned that dam and renaturalized it. And so now, all the waters of the Salmon River flow out to the Salmon River Estuary, where the Nature Trust BC has been busy um, conserving and restoring habitat. And so it's and and BC Hydro has also been a, a great partner in helping us acquire and restore some of the lands in the estuary. So, you know, they um, they benefited from that watershed for many decades, um, and now they are helping us to um, to restore the, the watershed for fish and wildlife. So,
2: mm.
1: um, it's, it's nice to kind of connect the, the work I did and, um, in industry with now what I'm doing in, at the nature of BC and, and yeah, help bring, um, bring that, that watershed back.
0: Jasper, if you had to name a couple species, whether it's fauna or, you know, wildlife in the province is there a couple that are really at risk that you think really commands our attention right now
1: well the first one that comes to mind is is steelhead and yeah. um especially the thompson river steelhead um you know the nature of bc's done some work in the in the fraser river um both the estuary and the um and the heart of the phrase are around uh, mission and hope but um, we haven't worked in the thompson river system so um but am um, as you know as someone who's born and raised in this area and fished on the thompson river i'm just aware of the tragedy of that of that uh, steelhead stock and and it's an example of you know where we we, we can and must do more to Mm-hmm. um, you know, to, so we don't lose that, that, uh, run forever.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, that, that's one, um, that certainly comes to mind. A success story is the Roosevelt elk. Um, you know, they're, it's, um, one of their, their really solid populations is in the, in the Salmon River watershed, uh, near Sayward. And, and they have, um, the province has translocated the uh, elk onto and the Sunshine Coast here, where where I live now, and um, into the Fraser Valley, where my family still lives, and you know, people are now seeing Roosevelt elk in places like Maple Ridge, where they hadn't been seen for <laughs> over a hundred years. So, how cool is that? That is really so, cool. So there's some, you know, there's some positive um, success stories, which I think gives gives us all hope for um, what we can collectively do when we set our minds to it and we have partnerships like the, like the partnerships that have um, driven the um, restoration of the of the roosevelt owl and um yeah that another another species you know closer to your homeland which is uh i, I think we could lose is the burrowing owl yeah and, I've, I've uh, i was thinking about that one myself and you know uh uh, we've, we've worked closely with the Bering Owl Conservation Society to, um, to, um, to create nesting habitat for them on, on the nature's properties in the South Okanagan and, and trying to help them bring them back. But that is a really, that is a really tough, um, you know, conservation task there to bring that one back. And, um, Mm -hmm. We're doing what we can and protecting more land in in the White Lake Basin is is part of it. And um, there, there's a lot of other things that have to be done too, um, or we might um we might not see burrowing owls in, in in BC for an you know for much longer. So
0: how how many nesting pairs would there be roughly? Any, any idea in the province?
1: I I couldn't tell you. It, it's more than there is for the northern spotted owl, um, right? That's uh, last count. There's only three northern spotted owls in the wild, but um, the so the burrowing owls are doing a a little better, but they're you know heavily dependent on the good work of our friends um with the captive breeding program at the Burrowing Owl Conservation Society. So um, you know there's uh um you know if if that work stopped today, who knows how long they would they would persist. So hmm. um, uh, I, th- I think it it speaks to the need. Um, to redouble our collective efforts to invest in protecting habitat, protecting land, um, and, and doing what we can to um, restore um, species at risk to the, the, lands and waters of, of BC. We live in a, we are very lucky to live in, in, in an incredible part of the world and in the fish and wildlife that, um, of BC or, yeah. you know, part of what makes this place so special and, and uh, as you well know, and, and, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that we, um, we will all, uh, double down to, to get more done. Um, there's an initiative that I'm, that the province has launched called Together for Wildlife. And, and, you know, that is, Uh, that initiative hopes to bring together partnerships to um to do to do this and to Mm -hmm. bring bring wildlife back and um i can i'm doing what i can personally Mm -hmm. and professionally but um you know there we need many more people at the table to um, um to make it happen
0: yeah hats off man it's uh it's i'm sure i can't imagine the scope of that work i was thinking as you were chatting about boronel and you're chatting about um some of the species that are kind of you know in danger going the way of the dodo bird i i growing up a a species i used to see all the time and i never see anymore is the yellow-headed blackbird they used to be everywhere around here i mean the red wings as well um but uh, I don't know if that's a species you know much about, but it just seems to me like they've kind of just dropped off the face of the, I, I don't see them. It's rare.
1: That's interesting. I, I can't give you any, any great insights into the yellowhead blackbird. Um, um, I've certainly seen, you know, myriad red wing blackbirds in, in the marshes that I've worked in and visited and, uh, conserved over the over my Ooh. career and and i think that they're you know they're they're a great example of of the habit of the species that depend on on wetlands and yeah and wetlands conservation is you know, if there was one habitat type um in bc or anywhere really that 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 merits protection for for all the different benefits it provides to wildlife and to people it's it's wetlands they're Mm -hmm. wetlands and estuaries i mean they're pound for pound incredibly powerful habitats for um for ecosystem services that's us nerdy biologists like now talk about ecosystem services that uh that um habitats provide and um and yeah without our wetlands we are um you know we are facing a, a bleak future and 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 because the birds that live there that bring joy to our lives and for the flood protection that they provide and for the um the fish that um you know that spend important parts of their life histories in mm-hmm. wilds and estuaries um, all these reasons we we need to uh, treasure and and steward these habitats
0: uh, that biodiversity like you you've touched on some species tonight that you got me thinking a little bit because st- i mean steelhead that's that's a that's a no-brainer and it wasn't even on my brain when you said it but obviously they've 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 been wiped clean almost from the thompson which is scary because i did i did used to go to that fishery and not that i had a lot of luck at it because i kind of missed the glory days but um you talked about, I mean, tiger salamanders, uh, Lewis woodpeckers. I think of the blue tailed skink. I used to see those things all the time, and it's rare I see one. I feel lucky when I see one. Same with rattlesnakes. I mean, we used to, they were in my driveway all the time, and we'd, we'd, we'd be, <laughs> look, look under your car before you get in it. But, um, I love what you're up to. I really do, and I, I know when we, we met there at the show, I just thought, man, we, we, we got to chat, and I appreciate you taking the time today, sharing a little bit of your fly fishing story, sharing a little bit about what the Nature Trust is up to, especially with your Little Qualicum River project. Uh, I know the deadline on that one's coming up, so if we wanted to help out and uh, you know get involved in the cause of, of saving that 36-acre parcel along the Little Qualicum, where do we find you?
1: So head to our website, naturetrust.bc.ca and click on donate now. And I know you have a lot of American listeners and I want them to know that we happily accept donations from Americans. We have a, uh, a partner down in the U S that, um, can accept uh, U.S. donations and provide a tax receipt to U.S. donors, and then that donor, uh, then that partner organization will um, will redirect those funds to nature just projects here in in BC. So um, we have opportunities for people from all across Canada, all across the U.S. to support what we do, and indeed all across the world, people can support our work through our our website we have donors in in europe and and uh, australia and and we um welcome the support of anybody who loves the 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 wild places of bc and the and the fish and wildlife that, that live there
0: Thanks for taking the time today. If if hopefully at some point maybe you and I can wet a line, whether it's uh, I am planning on coming your way towards Powell River, but if you're in the Okanagan, you got my number. Give me a shout and we'll uh, we'll chase we'll chase some fins in the desert. I know a couple spots.
1: That sounds awesome. I have I actually I I can't think of a of a place I've caught a fish in the Okanagan yet. I'm always I was working there and never fishing, so I'd love to uh, I'd love to change that.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Jasper.
1: My pleasure. We've Thanks been... for the opportunity.
0: Um, anytime, anytime. Let's do it again. Jasper Lament of Nature Trust of BC. Thanks, folks, for joining us this time around. We'll catch you next time.
3: Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by Flycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait For It Films, featuring fly-fishing videos and camera-related content. Custom music from Damian Anderson and by Brokentippet.com.